and inspiring worship music about giving ourselves and praising, and we just prayed about giving back to God. All of us here came this morning with who we are. I'd like for us to bow before we continue. Lord Jesus, today is the day that we celebrate your resurrection from the dead. It's an event that will always remain new. Your resurrection was a sign to the world that even though you had been killed, you came back. You returned to life. In our minds, we're not even able to begin to understand that. Death is what so many people are so incredibly afraid of. But you've proven once and for all death has no power over you or over those who walk with you. And you've promised eternal life to all who believe in you and put their trust and faith in you. So, Lord, today as we continue to look at the story of what you did, how you suffered and died, and now you are a risen king, help us remember what you did for us and help us to give ourselves to you. You tasted death on our behalf Today we can walk with you in life. That is glorious. We're thankful for that gift. So we ask for joy and for hope and for peace in our lives to walk with you in a dark and dying world. May this Easter celebration be for all of us another day of glory and honor to you. Help us remember you are Lord and King, and that is why we worship you as Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before I get into my sermon, I just want to mention that um, <clears throat> we have visitors from far away here. Anna and I had the privilege of serving in Belize in February, and in several different churches we taught uh, the Low German Mennonite History course. One of the churches was in Belize, in Shipyard, and Peter and Tina Bamman are with us this morning. We became very close, very good friends and they've been through a lot of difficult things recently, losing a, very, losing a child through, uh, through illness, just, only, um, just very recently, and it was all unexpected. And so they're with us this morning. I would like you to stand just so we can just stand up, Pete and Tina. Thank you. We grew close to them. Now we have friends in Belize. Thank you for coming. And one pastor to another, we, there's a kinship that forms. Those of us who have served in that role, we know what, what it's like. And so we just are so thankful that we can have them here with us and celebrate together this Easter Sunday morning. On Good Friday, Lowell shared with us in his sermon about all the bad things that happened on Good Friday, and it was true. A lot of bad decisions were made. People made just horrible choices. But God knew this in advance, what was going to happen? Because God knew what direction sin would take. And God had predetermined already from the creation of the world, I will give my son for the redemption of humanity. And yes, we don't understand the full picture. We're very limited in our grasp and our scope. We don't understand. But we do get enough to know that God decided, I'm going to give my son so humanity has a chance at eternal life. God did that. It's a fabulous story. It's an incredible story. The Gospels talk about it. Matthew talks about it. Mark talks about it. Luke talks about it. John talks about it. And it's, it's amazing what they share. Today we're talking about the part where Jesus comes out of the grave. What is interesting in the Gospels is that they don't all share it exactly the same way. 
They are a little bit different. And they're not one's honest, one's not honest, one's missing, one's forgetting something. That's not how this works. I would like you to imagine with me, if you could, just for a few minutes, an, an illustration that, that clarifies this. For instance, let's say there's a big accident. There's vehicles involved, and people are critically injured, and people have died, and everybody hears about it. And, and maybe the news reporter talks about it on the radio or on television, and he tells the story in a certain way. Gives some details and shares the basics, and this is what happened. It's all factual, it's true. Then you hear a police officer tell the same story. A lot of it's similar, a lot of it's exactly the same, but he tells different details because he's from the law enforcement side. He talks about maybe somebody broke the rules and somebody maybe was intoxicated or careless or reckless driving. He brings that to the front more. Maybe there's a paramedic. The paramedic also tells the story. Now that person talks about the injuries, the extent of the injuries, which hospital they went to, tells that side of the story. They all have the same story. But each one tells it a little bit different. You know where I'm going with this. That's a little bit how Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell the story. Each one of these writers of the gospel, they tell the story a little bit different. All the same story, but a little different slant to it. And today we're in the gospel of Matthew. We're going to continue with the theme that we started a few weeks ago, Jesus as King. He was a king that was celebrated on Palm Sunday. He was a king that was rejected during the week that he was serving in the temple, teaching in the temple. And then the response of the people toward this king, as Lowell preached on Good Friday, the response was horrible. And the problem was, he claimed to be a king, he was a king, and the people didn't like it. While the people kind of liked it initially, they celebrated him as, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They celebrated him as King David. They gave him the same recognition. Pharisees hated it. And by Thursday night, die was cast. We're going to get rid of him. And Friday by noon, he was, by an evening, he was in the tomb. That's how it went. Today, we want to look at what happened when the king of the Jews didn't stay dead. On Friday, he had been sentenced, tortured, crucified. And that same evening, he was buried in his grave and Sealed with a stone. The stone was rolled in front of the grave and was sealed with the, a seal of authority. Nobody gets in and nobody comes out. Today we come to the point where Matthew continues with his emphasis. Matthew, by the way, if you read the book of Matthew, it comes out very strongly. He portrays Jesus as the king of the Jews. That's the message he has for the people of his time, who he's writing to. He portrays Jesus as king of the Jews. That's the truth he wants to get across. And it doesn't leave now. It still continues. And there's so many people involved in the story. And as I was thinking about this this last week and preparing my sermon notes for today, I was kind of wondering, should we feel sorry for the Pharisees, perhaps, maybe a little? Or should we be angry at them? Or both? You see, after all, as I've said before on on, on a few Sundays ago, they were the elite, the best of the best, the cream of the crop of religious people in their day. And they had messed everything up. And Jesus had very harsh words of rebuke for these guys. In reality, 
Nobody worked harder than they did. Nobody tried harder than they did. Nobody gave more effort, more energy to the cause of Jehovah God and religion and what have you and the Sabbath and, and the laws and the traditions than they did. Nobody was more, more focused than they were. Nobody got criticized more than they did. Nobody was more lost than they were. And if you go back to the day before today, let's say yesterday, the Sabbath, and see what they did. Remember on Friday they killed him, and, and uh, Joseph Arimathea, they, he uh, asked Her, uh, King Pilate, I mean, Governor Pilate, uh, for the body, and he gets the body and wraps it up and puts in a tomb. And the Pharisees just couldn't get this out of their minds. And so Friday's finished now, and the Sabbath day is day of rest, but they're not resting. Their minds are going full tilt. They're going all out. Sabbath was a day of rest, but they were not resting. They remembered what had happened. They remembered how much this Passover had cost them. They remembered how this celebration passed overseas in Jerusalem had just kind of been all over the map. And their anger, their fear, and their just the way they approached this. I wonder if we could have seen those Pharisees in person. What would they have looked like? Faces red with rage, yelling crucify him, veins bulging, eyes filled with hate. As they yell, crucify him. If you let him go, you're no friend of Caesar. And Pilate gives in and just do away with him, do your own thing, and they crucify him. Let's go back a little bit, Matthew chapter 27, and read a few verses that happened like yesterday, the Sabbath day. Matthew chapter 27, verse 62, it goes, The next day on the Sabbath, the leading priests and Pharisees went to see Pilate. They told him, Sir, we remember what that deceiver once said while he was still alive. After three days, I will rise from the dead. Verse 64. So we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and then telling everyone he was raised from the dead. If that happens, we'll be worse off than we were at first. Pilate replied, Take guards and secure it the best you can. So they sealed the tomb and posted guards to protect it. Let's stop there. Remember how they often picked a quarrel with Jesus when Jesus was still in the teaching ministry? Jesus broke some Sabbath rule they had created, and they found fault with him for healing on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was supposed to be a day of rest. What were they doing on the Sabbath? They weren't resting. They were going and dealing with a pagan ruler in their city whom they hated with a passion. And trying to get him to be on their side to secure the tomb because this dead supposed king of the Jews, he could get, get stolen. We don't want that to happen. We want, this, we want him dead. We want him to stay dead. And not get stolen in this rumor spread he rose from the dead. Can't have that happening. They were not keeping the Sabbath. They remembered the words of Jesus. And they take preventative measures. Make sure that nothing goes wrong with their plans. Even if they have to break the Sabbath to get it done. They were going to make sure, Sabbath or not, this Jesus is going to be staying in that tomb. Just imagine the life of these men. That's why I said before, should we feel sorry for them? Should we be angry with them? Should we be both? See, some people are so bound, so imprisoned, so stuck, so inward focused, locked inside their own self-made prison, they have no peace, no rest from their self-deception and blindness. That described the Pharisees. The only thing they can think of right now, okay, guard that tomb, guard that tomb. Are they scared or something? Are they worried? Of course they are. They're paranoid. 
One writer once said years ago, it's the strong who can set their enemies free. It's the weak who have to kill them. And these leaders, they acted on a foundation of fear. Everything they did had fear written all over it and built right into it. Pilate had agreed to their demand. He had appointed, well, he gave them permission to appoint guards to keep the tomb and seal it. And by the way, that seal was, was a final seal. You, nobody could tamper with it. So finally, whatever time on the Sabbath they got that done, whether in the morning or evening, I don't know, they got that done on Sabbath day. And so finally, we can rest now. Okay, that Jewish deceiver is done. He's finished. It's over. Done. Nobody's going to get the dead body of Jesus. And in a normal story, this would be the final end. It's over. Done. Disciples were grieving. The women who followed him were grieving. Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, he was, they were grieving. But I do wonder, with all that went on on Good Friday, the way Jesus died... Some stuff went on that was not normal. The earth shook, the rock split, the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. This should have made the Pharisees think, wonder, perhaps fear. What will happen now? We're not told if they were afraid or not. There may have been, we don't know. But we do know that things were building up towards Sunday. Let's read Matthew 28, beginning verse 1. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning. His clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear, and when they saw him, they fell into a dead faint. Let's stop there. Let's go back for a moment again. When Jesus was crucified, there was a small number of people who were not in on the plan. His disciples, they were not in on the plan. They were scared and had run away, that's true. But this was not their idea of what should happen to the Messiah. And the men I talked about, Joseph and Nicodemus, also some of these women. And so when Jesus was buried, it being Friday, the women had wanted to take care of his body, bring some, some spices and ointment and whatnot, and Joseph had already done some of that, wrapped the body, but there was more to be done, and so the Sabbath was, was coming, so they couldn't do it, and the Sabbath was illegal, was, uh, was, you're supposed to rest on the Sabbath, and so they're going to do it right first day of the week, Sunday morning, they're going to come to the tomb, and they're going to take care of that. So the Gospels mention that these women were on the way to the grave. They have a discussion. One of the Gospels says they're actually talking about themselves. Who's going to roll the stone away? How are we going to get the stone away from the tomb? They know nothing about the seal. They know nothing about the guards, apparently. That happened on Saturday. They haven't been there yet. And we may perhaps wonder, why is this piece of the story important? Why is this significant about the angel, the way he looks and his face like lightning, his clothes as white as snow, and, and all the descriptions? Why is that important? It's a terrifying image. It's very important because this is a a clear demonstration of God's power at work. But let me ask, did Jesus really have to get somebody to roll the stone away so he could get out? He's in there Sunday morning. Okay, okay, Father, it's time now. The sun's coming up. Can you get the angel to roll the stone away? I can get out here. That's not what happened at all. He wasn't in the tomb waiting. Okay, it's almost time now, almost time. That's not what happened at all. Jesus didn't need that demonstration. That was for the world to see. I think especially the guards, the religious leaders. 
The earthquake on Good Friday had apparently not moved the religious leaders any, in any which way towards repentance, reconsidering their beliefs, and, oh, we could be wrong about this Jesus. The tearing of the veil in the temple apparently had done nothing to convince the religious leaders that they, well, maybe we should reconsider our ways. Here's an all-out powerful demonstration from God showing his power and sending a message who he really is. You see, the guards had been posted to keep the tomb guarded and sealed, and that was an official royal seal. That wasn't just somebody putting a little sticker on there and saying, okay, don't enter. They were given the task to make sure nobody's going to remove that stone. The angel did exactly that. He moved the stone. He has no right to do that. Nobody had a right to that. The authorities had said, stay shut. But that's exactly what he did. A demonstration of God's power. He had no respect and no regard for that earthly power of darkness. He just completely overruled it. Completely put it aside. In other words, when our earthly powers put a stone in place and seal it, God says, really? Flicks it aside. There's a lesson here. That stone was not rolled away because it needed to be rolled away so Jesus could get out, as I said before. It's a demonstration of God's power that you don't control God. His plan goes through anyway, regardless of what you decide. Nothing stops him. Evil will take its course up to a point, and God says, this is it, and no further. Then it goes his way. He makes the next move. When the angel rolled the stone away, he symbolically rolled death away. The grave was now open. The angel defied human authority in so many ways. You see, these guards that were stationed there, they were stationed for a bad purpose. Was there really a danger the disciples were going to go steal his body? Not a chance. They could have left that tomb open for all that, for all, all they, as far as that goes. They wouldn't have had the courage to steal the dead body. They were far too weak with fear and paralyzed with terror and fright. We're next. They're behind closed doors, in fact. One of the Gospels mentions that. And another thing about the guards, let's not forget about them. This is new. These guys have military training. They're men fit. They're men in shape. They're men with skill, tough military men. They're not afraid of the sight of blood or death. They're willing to die for what they are hired to do, assigned to do. All their strength and bravery would become to bear if somebody came close and wanted to break the seal. Nobody would get away alive. Here the angel comes in the, in the shaking of the earth and the light and the dazzling glow and the lightning is so bright and rolls the stone sits down on it. In God's eyes, these guards were simply representations of the powers of darkness and he comes with this power and light and darkness and death that just vanishes. Now the stone's taken care of. Guards are sleeping off a nice faint. It's just the angel and the women. Let's read verse 5. The angel spoke to the women, don't be afraid. Good, good, good comment. He said, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus. He was crucified. He's not here. He's risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come and see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I've told you. Let's stop there. I don't know, but didn't the woman expect something Maybe not. I don't think they were because of the other gospel they say, but this was completely shocking. It was off the wall. They had never anticipated this. And I think seeing some sleeping guards 
was surprising to them. The angel was a shock to them, and a good reason to say, don't be afraid. And now things move into high gear. Angel takes over and says, don't be afraid. And well, who wouldn't be? But don't be afraid. The ground is maybe just stopped shaking. Who knows? And this majestic, glorious, dazzling being, I'd be afraid just looking at him. Don't be afraid. And he says, quick, go. Why is it urgent? Think of what the disciples were going through. They didn't know this yet. For all they knew, Jesus had been killed on Friday. Saturday came and went. The Sabbath came and went, and they were still grieving. They were broken with with pain and grief and loss, what happened to their Savior. And these women, too, this was shocking. It was surprise. It was beyond shocking. They didn't know, and then... And now in just a matter of minutes, their life is turned around upside down and so much is happening so fast. The story has changed. Let's, let's read verse, the next one, verse 8. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran, they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. I would have loved to just see these women as they're trying to talk. I think they would have stuttered and tried to, the words would have just been spilling and tumbling over each other. Jesus, he's not dead, he's alive. And, and the disciples not grasping, not getting it, and like in a blind daze almost, emotionally distraught. What, what are you talking about? As they're running, they meet Jesus and they grab hold of him and he tells them, don't be afraid, same message again. Tell my brothers to leave for Galilee. And so they're off running, they don't have text messages, social media, or Facebook. Have to spread this by, by mouth. You know, like just go and tell everybody. And they're frightened. A crucified man who was buried has risen to life. Had never happened before. We do well to read this story slowly, thoughtfully, with meditation. There's no way possible for our limited, finite human minds to even begin to grasp the enormity of what happened here. No news broadcaster could do justice. No witness can really tell it with the same kind of intensity as it happened. Sometimes I think children are the best to be told a story because they simply just believe it. They just accept it. They don't have the mental capacities to figure it out scientifically or logically. How does it make sense? They just accept it and believe it. It happened. And that's it. remember reading a story years ago of a family driving down the road. and They drive by a cemetery and they got little kids in the back. There's a freshly dug grave. Little kid, I think he was a boy, knows what graveyards are for, cemeteries are for, and sees the grave that's been dug, a freshly dug grave, and there's a pile of dirt. He exclaims, hey, one got out. Good thought, good thought. One day that will be reality worldwide. All of them will get out. Oh, on that Sunday morning, Jesus got out. You see, folks, Jesus got out. 
Our king is risen. God raised him. But it doesn't stop there. All of us one day will get out. Nobody expected it. Pilate didn't. He had condemned him. Nobody had ever gotten out whom he had condemned. Jews had seen many people die. Crucifixion was a very normal occurrence in those days. Nobody ever got off the cross. Nobody got out of a grave. The Pharisees were going to make sure he wasn't going to get out. At least they weren't going to steal him. But the world failed to realize then, and the world fails to realize today, death is not the end. Death does not have the final word. After Jesus conquered death, death died. The death that people fear today has no hold on Christ, no hold on God, no hold on God's people. For anybody who's lost a loved one, and we have those in our midst who have, that is our comfort. That is our trust and our faith and our hope. But there's more to the story. doesn't quite finish. Let's read verse 11 and on. As the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priest what had happened. A meeting with the elders was called, and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, you must say Jesus' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping. They stole his body. If the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you so you won't get in trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say. The story spread widely among the Jews, and they still tell it today. If Friday was bad for the Pharisees, if Sunday, if Sabbath day, Saturday was a worrisome, frightful day for the Pharisees, just paranoid what's going to happen, and they woke up Sunday morning, and not very far into the morning, some of the soldiers have come back. So some of the soldiers went to the city. I don't know why they didn't all go, but so some of them went. And they're shaking in their boots or sandals, whatever they wore, and they can hardly talk, fearing for their life what has happened. Because who would believe it? The women are, the news is spreading, it's going out. The women are on their way telling the story. The dead man's up, Jesus is up, he's risen from the dead. These guards woke from their faint, uh, from their fainting spell and they can't grasp what happened, this angel, what he did, and, and now we gotta go tell the, the Pharisees they hired us, we didn't do our job or we couldn't do our job. The nightmare of nightmares has come true. It's real. It's not a glitch in our plans, it's disaster, failure. The only course of action that they can come up with is let's create a cover-up. Isn't that typical? Let's create a distraction, a diversion. Can't deny what happened, but we can't let this go either. So we'll just pretend that oh, we, we, were, we were bored and we fell asleep in the soul and the disciples took me. Yeah, really? They would have on those disciples so fast and they would have had recovered that dead body so fast it would have been only hours and they would have had the job done. But there was no body to recover. They knew it. They had not counted on God himself intervening and sending an angel. No one had anticipated this. By now, one would think or should perhaps think, well, why don't you guys just already admit and acknowledge and repent and confess your sins and follow Jesus? Why don't you? But you see, folks, that's what pride does. Pride won't let a person get to that point. If anything, this just amplified and magnified their fear. Then to accuse the disciples of stealing his body, that's preposterous. That's outrageous. They were the most fearful bunch of men in all Jerusalem at that point. 
They were in no way shape or able to steal a body. There was no dead body. And later at Pentecost, 50 days from, from today, after Jesus left this earth, the Holy Spirit filled these disciples with an unstoppable force of power. And the disciples spread this good news. And it has been said, if Jesus had not been raised, would they have willingly spread a lie with such, such passion and sacrificed their lives for perpetuating a lie? Of course not. Nobody dies for a lie when they know it's a lie. Jesus was risen. He was king. And Matthew was driving the point home in his gospel. I think it's safe to say for those leaders, the Jewish Pharisees, there never had been a worse Passover week than this one. This was the worst of the worst. They were always worried during Passover, what's going to happen in Jerusalem this time? Because there was always some rabble-rouser. There was always some guy who wanted to create a riot, get, kick the Romans out and be their own nation. Because it's Independence Day for the Jews. Passover was Independence Day. When they celebrated their freedom from Egypt, and now here Jesus had done this. This, was the, this one topped them all. First, Jesus had come claiming to be king of the Jews. That had ticked them off. Goes into the temple, turns the whole thing upside down. The, economy is kind of, uh, the whole temple economy is in turmoil because of that. Next, he called them hypocrites, whitewashed tombs, called them children of hell, in fact. He did this in public, worst of all, in front of the crowds, making them look foolish. And then when they finally were able to arrest him, had such a hard time convincing the governor to get him to pronounce sentence on him. Pilate wasn't interested in killing him. And now he's risen? How bad can this get? Hair-pulling, teeth-grinding stuff. What's this world coming to? You know what it's coming to? You can either join him or resist him, but you can't play with him. There's no middle ground with this man, Jesus. There's no if, if and when. No, you either fall and surrender or you reject him. You don't play it midway. It doesn't work. He is king. There's only two choices. Accept him Renounce our pride, our sin, and worship him. Receive him as Lord and King, or walk away. The Pharisees choose to walk away. And they fail to get rid of him. Everybody who tries to get rid of Jesus sooner or later fails in that mission. It doesn't work. So you and I, this morning, we can decide which it will be. We can deny him. Reject him, try to put him in a tomb, create cover-ups, they all fail. But let me close with this question. In your heart, where is Jesus? Is he king or not? Paul wrote about this. See, Paul was a Pharisee. He was a Christian killer. He believed they were wrong and they were, they were not worshiping God the way they should, so Christians had to be done away with. And when he realized, Jesus revealed himself to him, when he realized, wait a minute, I'm wrong, Paul repented. He was Saul at the time. He, re, he repented of his sin, worshiped Jesus. He was never the same again. And he, he banked everything on Christ. We can say all the eggs were put in that one basket. And he says, if Christ is not risen, we're the most miserable of all people. But no, he is risen. We serve an eternal Lord and King for all eternity. But there's one more thing. I won't read it this morning, but he has promised to come back. 
just as he came out of the grave once, he's going to return to this earth one more time. For some sooner, for some later. But all will see him. Which camp will you and I fall into? The women who with fear and wonder and awe meet him and get hold of him, look so thankful and joyful to see him, or all this disaster is real. He's here. I didn't believe in him. I didn't want him. We can choose today. We're being called today. We're either children of the risen king or we're enemies of the risen king. The choice is ours to make. My prayer is that all of us will get this right. You and I can say yes to him. You and I can repent, walk with him, and then when he returns, we will with joy. There will be fear and trembling. There will be fear of God in a, in a positive way. We with joy and trembling stand before him, and yes, he's back. He's real. We're going home. We can live that way. Let us pray. Lord, we're thankful for the story of the gospel. You are king. You're risen. That is the greatest news that ever could be preached. You conquered death. And death is such an enemy. And all those who tried to keep you in the grave, who tried to get rid of you, all failed. Our society today tries to get rid of you. It will fail. But all those who in humility and trust repent of their sins and walk with you, they will one day rejoice when you take them home. May we be found in that group. In your name we pray. Amen.